Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Well, hello, you guys. I have a question for you here, and you know I love to start with questions directed exactly at you and what you like and what you don't like. Have you guys ever said or heard someone at work maybe say, that's above my pay grade? I don't know why, but I have always viewed that as very cringy. And I never knew why, really, until I read about a CEO who has started multiple businesses that together are today valued at more than $2 billion. She and her family, and this is what makes it so interesting, she had come to the U.S. from Mexico when she was seven years old. None of her family members at that point had gone to college, and her prospects as a poor immigrant may have been viewed by some as pretty dim. But Shadia Sagala set her sights on this notion that nothing is above your pay grade when it comes to fighting for the success you dream of. In fact, she says her superpower is something you guys can have too if you're ready to wade into, not run away from, risk-taking and uncertainty. That unique outlook, plus the whole nothing's above my pay grade, that not only brought her family its first undergraduate college diploma, but a master's from the Harvard Kennedy School. That's hardly where the story ends, though. Let's hear how that superpower of hers energized her to start those highly successful businesses. And I don't know, I want to know from her how she does it. Shadia, welcome to Everyone Talks to Liz. I am so glad you could join us today. Hi, Liz. I am delighted to be here. So I I don't know. I always hated when people said, oh, that's above my pay grade, because it almost separates the person who says it from that opportunity to eventually move up to that pay grade and beyond. Right. I mean, am I kind of right on that? Absolutely. I mean, you know, I guess, you know, it's interesting because when you think about the term, it's above my pay grade, you could look at it a couple of different ways, right? One is, well, you're not paying me to do that. I don't get paid to do that. So why should I, Mm -hmm. right? Why should I take that extra responsibility or something that's outside of my job description? Or the other way to look at it is, oh my God, you are offering me an opportunity that is outside of my job description, an opportunity for me to grow um, and learn and maybe even prove to you that I have more capacity, right? And so for me, uh, you know, this this expression for me, I always choose to go into the positive direction. Yeah. And say, well, wait, sure, I'll take something that's above my pay grade, even if I'm not getting paid for it, right? I mean, because that's how you end up stretching those muscles, which then become stronger, right? you know, I have to extend belief on something. I have to sort of extend myself a little bit to, you know, sort of envision myself doing that particular job. Um, or uh, I have to extend myself and my resources just a bit, even my, my intellectual resources, right? Those are the opportunities that I'm referring to. Yeah. When it says that moment where, oh, I do want it to be above my pay grade, that would be cool to reach and stretch. So, you know, I want to reach back first and just talk about how you came to this country, you were seven years old, and you didn't speak the language, I'm guessing. 
I sure did not. Um, and Liz, I just, you know, I have to say that I am um, so honored to be here. And I almost, you know, when I was approached to be on the show, I, I, I read about it and I saw, you know, business leaders who have sort of made it. And it's so interesting because uh, while I do realize that I've had a lot of professional success, I kind of feel like I'm still like very much in the middle of my story. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm always just delighted to to tell you where I started. But I'm like, you know, come back in 15 years. There's going to be a lot more, I think. Um, you know, and, and for me, I think that's just one of one of the, my core traits is just having humility, being humble about, about where you are. Um, and and that does go back to my 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 beginnings. I, um, you know, my mother uh, decided to leave Mexico as a young woman, a young mother of 28 years old with three young children. Right. And to um, come into this brand new country without having the language but knowing that what laid behind her in Mexico was not a life of opportunity. And she, like so many, so, so many and most, most immigrants, most people who immigrate to the United States are really here to give their children a better life. So um, we moved here at seven years old. I did not know a single word. I was six or seven. I, I don't, don't recall. Um, I do remember that, uh, you know, I was um, enrolled in the ESL classes in elementary school. That's English as a second language. But all I remember was that it was all Spanish. And at <laughs> some point, you know, and, and at some point, like a few months oh in, after, I don't know, they were they were doing this slew of testing and they, they, I would have counselors talk to me. Right. I didn't know what was going on. But one day the counselor came to the classroom and she said, OK, get your stuff. We're taking you to the all English class. And my stomach nearly dropped out. <laughs> I was so scared. And, you know, I have to say that was like probably just um, one of the most core and pivotal memories I have of myself getting thrown literally into the pool, right, to just learn how to swim, right? And 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 the teachers figured that I would just catch up. Um, I was smart enough to do it. And I, and I, you know, I was seven years old. Your brain is malleable. And sure enough, I was, again, given the opportunity you know, to not stay in a sort of middling um, classroom, but to really just go all in and get the language immediately. Good for you. And and you did. You absorbed it. And kids at that age tend to have that ability to bend and stretch. I love that word stretch oh, because sure. I think we all have to. But as you as you got closer to graduating from high school, did you ever kind of doubt that you would go to college? Or was it always something where you said, I'm I'm going to do this, even though many in my family did not have the opportunity. I'm, I'm going for it. I never had a doubt in my mind that I would go to college, probably from the time that I, I don't know, was could grasp what that meant, 9, 10, 11 years old. And the reason is that my mother specifically inculcated in us, you know, she would say, in this country, you get your education, right? That's that. That was what she said over and over about this country, right? It's almost like this this quote. I should print it and then, but do a summary. Like in this country, you get your education. Um, and so, you know, I I saw my mother, you know, get struggling as a young mother with a with the three young kids, um, is struggling to make ends meet. But here's what I always saw her do: she was always taking a class at the community college. So I actually saw my mom take um, take advantage of going to, you know, college with a big C. And I love that about her. So I always grew up understanding that, you know, the way that we were going to sort of make it out of poverty, uh, in fact, as my mom put it, was to become well-educated. Sure, sure. And take that. But listen, the world is cluttered with people who have multiple degrees, but they lack 
that <laughs> spark plug of ambition plus guts. And somehow you managed to find that in a hidden well within you to go forth, not just to graduate from Pomona College, which is, uh, I'm from California, that is one of the top liberal mm. arts schools in the nation, but to then head to the Harvard Kennedy School. You wanted mm -hmm. that secondary degree. Uh, what did you think was going to get you sort of beyond that basic college education and where you would use what you learned to then really fly in the corporate world? Mm-hmm. You know, Liz, uh, even though I never had a doubt in my mind, uh, the other side of the coin is that I didn't necessarily know how I was going to do do that. Hmm. You know, I didn't have a template or a model even for applying to college. Right. So, um, I mean, I just a, a lot of this was also just having the perseverance, tenacity and the right, the ability to ask questions over and over Um to just figure out how do you apply for college? How do you apply for financial aid? You know, as it turns out, I got a pretty much full ride to Pomona College. And that was, um, I sort of just figured out on my own. I, If I had not had full financial aid, I, I don't think I would have attended um, such a prestigious private school. Mm. Um, then, you know, so once, uh, once at Pomona College, I became really interested in issues of social justice and equity. Um, and that's also where I learned my my voice as a young student leader, if you will. So uh, by the time it was uh, time to graduate and we're all thinking, well, what are we going to do with our lives? You know, I I put on the, this 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 hat, this risk taking hat that I that I always put on. And it's almost like this playful, competitive risk taking hat, which is well, you know, if I were to do the hardest thing possible, what would that be? Like just for funsies, right? Let's just have this, this thought experiment. And for me, that was that was getting a master's degree in advanced education in a field um, for me that would make the world a better place, uh, which I Googled, right? I was like, what's master's and make the world a better place? Um, I thought it was law school. And it was like, nope, that is where your soul goes to die. <laughs> um, uh, and it was, and, you know, the answer was uh, public policy. So, so for me at that point, the question was, okay, I want a master's in public policy, but you know what, again, sort of just for funsies, right? What if, what if I could get into the very best program? What does that look like? What is that called? And how do I get in? And in a way uh, I'm, I'm able to do this. I'm able to put on this, this, this hat that is like, let's just think of the wildest dream because, because you have nothing to lose. Like there's nothing to lose by trying. You just end up where you are right now. Okay. Right? Do you, you guys are you guys it. hearing her? What she is saying right now? It's you know I'm thinking of the Harry Potter sorting hat, except that you on the hat, you put it on, and it gives you the magic, and you yeah. have to absorb that. And we're all just a car, you know. We're an engine, and the engine is inside us, and we have to decide whether to turn the key. But we all have the key, right? Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, Liz, um, there's there's something about this. Again, it's like uh, just sort of the, the 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 playfulness of words. One might think of entitlement, right? Like entitlement is a bad thing. Like you feel entitled to uh, or, or get whatever without working for it. The other way to think about it is, well, I'm entitled to try. <laughs> Right. Or like, hey, um, if I do want to go to the most prestigious school or if I do want to become a doctor, if I do want to start a business, 
Well, I don't know what entitles me to it, but I don't know what doesn't entitle me to it. Well, there you are. Why not you? You have to say to yourself, why not me? I mean, enough other people have done it. Why not me? This is Everyone Talks to Liz, and we will be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clayman. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clayman right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clayman. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Now, you got that degree and you did begin working in corporate America, but that's... That's less your story than what you decided while you were at corporate America. You realized that what would really make you happy is to take the entrepreneurial route. What started that? And let's get to your first entrepreneurial effort, which became quite a success. Uh, Gosh, so I, um, you know, I lasted, I joke that I lasted all about two years uh, employed before I became unemployable, which is the my status to date after being an entrepreneur for so long. <laughs> you know, it took me uh, actually. It took me exactly one week into my first job. Um, you know, imagine I am 25, 26. I'm earning more money than I ever thought I would at that age. You know, with this really fancy corporate job. And I remember calling my mother at the end of the week and um, expressing to her that like something just didn't feel right. Right. And I couldn't express. I was like, you know, it's nice. And da, da, da. And my mom was like, what? I was struggling to explain <laughs> to her what, what about I didn't feel. Right. And my mom said, oh, yeah, no, honey, this is called a job and you have 30 years left of it. Welcome. <laughs> and I thought, wow, I, it was just so grim and so depressing. And also, of course, a great story today. Um, but you know, Liz, I could not accept this. This is how I knew I could not accept that this would be my life, that I could feel just a little bit depressed every day, no matter how wonderful the paycheck or the circumstances, and no matter how privileged I was, you know, relative to the rest of my family members, or even my peers at that time. So one thing that I had to really, um, that I came to connect with deep within me was this need to create and to galvanize people. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's something I found in college and I I really revisited that, revisited then. And the words that I came up for it, for it then were entrepreneurship, which was sort of this, I mean, it's, it was, it's not a new word. It wasn't a new word in, you know, I don't know, 2008, but it certainly wasn't as popular as it is today. I think there was, it was just when we were, you know, societally, we were starting to kind of come into this adoration of entrepreneurship. Um, but, you know, I didn't realize that that this the same characteristics that I had for myself as a public service leader, right, which is what I wanted to do as public service leadership, 
actually the same exact attributes are there for entrepreneur. And that is when I decided to strike out on my own and become self-employed. And you started with the company that really forced you to actually wear a bunch of different hats. And this goes back to not my pay grade. You you did a bunch of roles, right? You had to tackle when you're starting a business. You got to do everything, right? You know, Liz, uh, when we first founded HoneyBook, absolutely, it was four of us co-founders. And four people does not a company make. Right? <laughs> uh, four people a project makes. And so, of course, I mean, you know, when you have a really, really great big vision um, and there's only four of you, you have to divvy up about 149 jobs. So you do the math <laughs> on that, <laughs> split it by four. Um, and, you know, and 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 you end up um, and you end up, you know, taking on uh, roles that are both within your proclivities and abilities and also many roles that do not fit in either of those. Uh, those jobs are either things you don't like to do, things you're not good at doing, or things that you will be good at doing one day, but right now you're just getting started and you hardly have the skill set, such as managing teams and building organizations. HoneyBook was founded in 2013, correct? And let's talk about what it entailed, where the idea came from. Yes. Well, before before the great HoneyBook success that we all know of today, and I know we'll, we'll get to, there was actually one step before then. And you know, this, this is a story that a lot of people don't hear about when they think of, quote unquote, overnight successes. Right. Um, and that is that uh, my very first foray into being self-employed was to start a small business, a catering business. Um, and that's really critical to the HoneyBook story. Why? Number one, because uh, I didn't know what else to do, but I had to make money to pay rent when I quit my job. So I was like, I'll cook. I'm a great cook. So again, just literally landing on my feet and saying, I got to make money right now and fend for myself. Um, and in doing so, you know, getting my my first few clients, I did this for about a year. I realized a few critical things. One was, this is awesome. Actually, owning my destiny is incredible. Secondly, I learned that the type of business you start matters because ultimately uh, being a caterer or a personal chef was not scalable and it wasn't really feeding that intellectual side of, of things. Um, and so so then now let's fast forward to, you know, to to HoneyBook. HoneyBook was, in fact, informed by the challenges that I and my fellow three co-founders had each had all of us running small businesses at one point or another. Now, HoneyBook today, HoneyBook is software that small business owners or freelancers can use to help them manage their business, right? You manage the most unfun parts of your business, such as, you know, extending contracts, collecting payments, and just overall managing all of your clients and your gigs. So when we had run our own independent small businesses, it might, you know, my, my food chef business included, I found myself literally Googling for my first client ever how to create an invoice. Right? Right. I had to like, I had to just get like basic business skills. And I mean, I wouldn't say writing an invoice is a business skill, right? But the, that's the point. You suddenly become a business owner. Um, when you're, you know, trying to do something you love, you realize there's a lot of a lot of business parts and administrative parts that you have to do. And that is where HoneyBook comes in. And it's an amazing idea that seems so simple, yet it hadn't really 
been done in the way that you four were able to tackle it. And therefore, as it grows, it now has a valuation of more than $2 billion. This, to me, is so great because it goes back to everybody, the superpower that you say you have basically grown within yourself, and that is dive in, embrace, Mm. wade into uncertainty. And Mm -hmm. how do you teach somebody to do that? Because we've got people listening right now who are dying to do what you've done, start a business. They're just a little scared. They think, I'm going to stay with the corporate job. Uh, It's, you know, Mm -hmm. seven, six figure, whatever it is that's paying, five Mm -hmm. figures, who knows? You know, that it's just, it matters so much to people that they have stability. It's scary to do what you did. You know, Liz, I, um, well, I didn't know that. Well, first of all, it's so humbling. I mean, it's beyond my wildest dreams that, that just to hear you say that back to me, that this business that I was foundational in, that I was a, a part of in its earliest days is today a multi-billion dollar company. <laughs> exactly. Like not words that I thought would go in the same sentence. Like I just didn't, didn't plan for it to go this way. And I think, I think therein that that's, that's the key right there that I didn't plan for it to go this exact way. Um, I'm happy. I, I, I had ambitions that it would be a smashing success, but I think the ability to let go in, uh, in small ways is really important because if you think of my story and you're like, Oh, Shadi, I've made a decision to wake up one day and boom, here she is a $2 billion co-founder. Oh, no, no, no. I would have never, I just, you, you can't like you have, I yeah, can't. Um, so, so when, when I break it, you really break it down to individual, you know, decisions that you make on a daily basis. Um, and, and, and when you realize that your life really is made up of that day to day, um, the, the steps are into it are smaller. Um, the losses are, could also be smaller, right? You're, you're sort of mitigating, um, the risk of it smaller, um, or into smaller pieces. And that also goes to show that it takes a lot of small days, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of small days to add up to the big win. Oh, so I, incredible how people people okay. really do need to understand that. It is, as the great tennis player Tracy Austin used to say, drops of water on a rock. Each day she practiced <laughs> was a drop of water on a rock. Now, after a week, after a year, after two years, you don't see any dent. But every single day, year after year, those drops of water will the rock, but it doesn't just happen, right? Uh, absolutely not. Um, but that stick to has to stay, right? That's the one consistent thing that has to stay. Um, it's waking up and showing up, waking up and showing up. And, you know, Liz, it's been uh, over 10 years or about 10 years. And I've been through a lot of life, right? I got married. I have kids. I got divorced. I started a new company. And so I don't mean to glorify the big success, you know, the big win. Um, but I can tell you that, you know, if you're going to wake up and you need to have a job, that's the thing we all need to work. Uh, if you're going to work, may as well, at least for that day, work on something that brings you joy or pleasure, that's if what, possible. That's and I know what that's Warren Buffett says, make your passion your profession and you'll tap dance to work. It doesn't even feel like work. <laughs> Today, you are on to your next project, which is a company called Kinside, an online app and marketplace that matches employers and parents with 
I guess, geographically close childcare and places where they actually have spots. I mean, that's been the biggest problem being a parent. I mean, I always used to say childcare was my biggest sort of rock around my neck. I was always, <laughs> I was always stressing about it. And mm-hmm. often I had to turn to hiring a nanny, which is more expensive mm-hmm. because there were no spots in the nearby childcare places that were close to me. And you match people with this, this online marketplace. How is the business doing? Well, that is a loaded question. <laughs> Let's never hear it. Ask, never ask a technology startup founder, how is it going? Because depending <laughs> on the minute of the day, it's either the best day of their lives or the worst day of their lives. <laughs> it's just so volatile. No, I look, overall, the business is doing incredibly well um, for its stage, uh, we've raised about $16 million from, you know, incredible venture capitalists. And um, the reason that we've been able to uh, raise money and do well is because we are solving a real need. As you mentioned, this is not a uh, flight of fancy. This is not about this is not some fancy tech thing. We're literally talking about an evergreen and essential problem that every family in America has. And that is needing to find affordable childcare. And uh, at Kinside, you know, we realized that there are really three stakeholders here that could work really well together in a way that no one's ever thought of before. And that is the employer, right? The source of sort of like why you have to go to child, why your kid has to go to childcare, mm-hmm. the employer, the families, of course, that that work for those employers and the childcare providers. And we've developed a really interesting mechanism to connect those three stakeholders to make childcare uh, more accessible. And ideally, in the vision, Liz, is that childcare becomes universally uh, accessible to every family in the country, no matter where you are on the pay scale. Well, to me, it's brilliant. Matching any kind of marketplace. Like you look at Craigslist. Oh, I have a string of old Christmas lights. Who wants it? For five, and then you match with people. I, I mean, matching people is such a brilliant, brilliant idea, which really, in many ways, started with eBay. If you're talking about online types of marketplaces, but when you look at this business and in the aggregate the other businesses that you have started, can you sort of throw out a number of how many people these businesses have employed from creation to now? I mean, how many people? Have you oh, given sure. jobs to? Oh, uh, gosh. Uh, well, hundreds, up to a thousand. Um, so in the, here, here's the thing. Um, oh, gosh. I mean, I, I I feel like I've probably interviewed or been uh, in, com- in either of those two companies. Nah, I'm going to say 400 people. <laughs> okay. There's a reason I'm bringing this up because it goes back to your original story. You are an immigrant. And as an immigrant, you came to this country Yes, you took the best of it, which is our great educational system. But what did you give back? You are a job creator. Hundreds and hundreds of jobs are created because you came to this country. And I need that message to be said because my parents were immigrants and I feel like and their parents were immigrants. And I feel like. This country needs to embrace immigrants. Am I, am I, like, why does the world not see this? I mean, the world should. When you think about Silicon Valley, 
The four mm-hmm. biggest, you know, job creators were all found at Intel, Google, mm-hmm. well, back then Yahoo, right? That mm-hmm. founded by immigrants. Preach. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, I just think feel like this is this is how this country needs to really move forward because immigrants are very much the backbone of the history of this country, but also job creation in this country. That said, as we finish up, I'm very interested in you ending this with a message to people listening right now. What is the number one characteristic you feel you had and people must have if they are going to forge ahead and really find that dream success? Uh, You know, Liz, I, I, I might have said, even just a year ago, I might have said, um, you know, some version of lean into the risk uh, or, you know, sort of lean in. That's what you need to do. You know, jump, jump for the biggest, scariest opportunity. Mm -hmm. But I think I have a different perspective now. And what I would say is approach life with a sense of play and playfulness. Um, Because risk taking for risk's sake is not in and of itself fulfilling, hmm. right? But but in order to you know, I I think of the the types of risks I, I've taken as sort of mini uh, competitions. Like I feel competitive to beat the whatever the game is, not not someone else, but just the system, the opportunity, the job, you know, the career ladder. But I'm able to do that um, and not burn out because I approach it with a sense of playfulness. Again, it's it's that competitive play that at least for me really uh, resonates. Oh, I love that. I love that. Shadia, we wish you the best, best of luck. And uh, thanks for teaching us how to put on the superpower hat and dive right in. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Shadia Sagala. And to me, what I really liked best was what I started with. And that is, don't say, oh, that's above my pay grade. Jump ahead. Try and be above your pay grade. That's, that's what success and the and the glittery aspect of it is made of when you pair it with really reaching for what is your passion and what you want to do. And that's what Shadia has done. Uh, you guys, I hope you're watching me Monday through Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Fox Business Network, because once you make your money, you got to know how to invest it, right? I will see you then. And as always, thank you so much for listening. You mean so much to me. Have a great day. Want to listen ad-free? You can do it with a Fox News Podcasts Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And then Amazon Prime members, you can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox & Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts.